Lord, once again, we ask that you speak your words here today. Lord, fill our hearts with your words and your conviction. And Lord, help everybody in here not to hear me, but to hear what you want. I know I'm repeating myself, but more than anything, Lord, your words be your words and your will be done. Amen. Amen. Education 271. I want you guys to remember this quote. This really has been my theme. Education page 271. I have a few quotes I want to go over that I didn't get to yesterday that I just wanted to share. Just, um, uh, just you know, six little quotes. And then uh, I have a couple stories, and then I want to do some demonstrations, and then I want to take some questions. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin? How soon, in place of a possession here, with its blight of sin and pain, our children might receive their inheritance, where the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever, where the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick, and the voice of the weeping shall be no more heard. That's found in Education 271. That's really a neat quote, and I've shared that, and I'll share it one more time tomorrow. It's so true. If we do our jobs... You know, how soon would the return of God be? Education in book knowledge. This one is found. Let me give you this reference. And again, as I mentioned, if you email me, my email address is up there. I'm not saying it because I don't want it all over Audioverse. I will send you all of these quotes. Or if you have any questions, I'll be glad to answer them. This is found in the Youth Instructor, March 31 and April 1898. The Youth Instructor, March 31 and April 7, 1898. Education in book knowledge alone prepares the way for superficial, shallow thoughts. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Superficial, shallow thoughts. Remember we talked the other day about a radish. If you ask a child who's seen a radish in a, in a book and ask them to draw that, but you, a child who's sitting next to them, who's worked in a garden, they've picked the radish themselves, they've bitten into it, they've eaten it, they've tasted it, they've smelled it, they've rolled it in their hands. You know what children do. They've you know, dropped it on the ground, they've kicked it, thrown it up in the air. You know what children do. And you ask them to draw it. Who is going to have a clearer picture of that radish and how to draw it? Which child? Child A, who's seen it in a book? Or child B, who's picked it from their garden? B. B. Okay. The neglect of some parts, hear this, the neglect of some parts of the living machinery while other parts are put to the tax and wearied and overworked makes many youth weak to resist the temptation of evil practices. Book learning alone creates an environment for evil practices. That's what it's saying. That is Youth Instructor, March 31st and April 7, 1898. The Youth Instructor. Youths, I'm sorry, The Youth Instructor, March 31st and April 7, 1898. They have little power of self-control. The physical machinery being untaxed. The blood, here, listen to this. The blood is called too liberally to the brain and the nervous system is overworked. The brain is overworked and Satan brings in temptations 
to engage in forbidden pleasures. To have, to have a change, to let off steam, yielding, so the temptations is to have, um, what did it say? Let me go back to have a change or to let off steam. Their brain is so overtaxed that they go to pleasures to let off steam. Yielding to these temptations, they do wrong, injuring themselves and doing mischief to others. This may be done only in sport. This may be done only in sport, but someone must undo the mischief which they do under temptation. While studying authors and lesson books, part of the time students should study the human machinery with the same application and the same time use of physical organs in manual labor. We talked about this the first day. As much time as you study, spend studying in books need to be spent in physical. You need to balance. Jesus grew, remember, what did he grow? Those who know the Steve Green song, he grew in what? Wisdom, the mental, stature, the physical, in favor. And that's the spiritual physical, social as well, I agree. But I'm just really trying to point out the three, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. Thus they answer the purpose of their creator, and so let me go back and read. While studying authors and lesson books, part of the time students should study the human machinery with the same application and at the same time use the physical organs in manual labor. Thus they answer the purpose of their creator. Did you hear that? They answer the purpose of their creator and become useful, efficient men and women. This is taken from the same place, the youth's instructor, instructor March 31st and April 7, 1898. The talents entrusted of God are, sacred, are a sacred treasure and should be put to practical use. Useful work is a valuable education. If either this practical education or, hear this, or the study of books must be neglected. Let it be the study of books. I'm going to pause there for a second. I remember when we first started um, down this road of getting into agriculture, and we had no clue what we were doing um, and uh, trying to figure this you know, curriculum out, this new curriculum. How in the world, the question everybody asks, how do you do it? How do you do it? There was a lady by the name of Teresa Kodimer, and she's at Uchi Pines, um, very dear lady. And I remember I asked her the question. And she said, you know, she was doing book learning. And I can't remember um, which one of her children. I think it was a boy and a girl. And one of them had a character issue that she needed to work on. And so she just said, okay. She went back to the book education, and she said, God is the instructor. Nature is the classroom. And, oh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting how that goes now. I apologize. If I remember, I'll share it. Somebody help me. God is the instructor. Nature is the classroom. The lesson book. And the bi No. Ah, I forget. Anyways, what she decided to do was she was going to take them out in the garden. And she said, I didn't know what I was doing. She said, I knew what I was told to do. I had no idea. I wasn't a farmer. We weren't growing um, anything. And I didn't know anything. She said, so I started where I knew. I started with, a fl with flowers. So we got out there, 
and my child continued to show persistence in this character flaw that we needed to work out. So she said, we got out there, and I got them out there on their little hands and knees, and they were weeding, and they were pulling. And there I was teaching them persistence. And she said, I was allowing God to work through the weeding to come and fill their minds and educate them the way he wanted them to. She says, did I know what I was doing? No, but I knew I needed to do this. And I remember sharing this with my, with my wife. And, you know, of course, my wife said, but what does that mean? How do I do it? And I said, you know what? God has never asked us to part a sea. He only asks us to put our foot in. Once we put our foot in, he does the parting. So we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to do it. We don't know. And we're constantly changing. I wish I could tell you that there was an answer that we knew everything, but we don't. We're constantly changing. So Teresa Kodamer said that they got out there and they were learning how to weed, how to be uh, persistent, how to be, uh, to persevere so that she could work on the character of that child whose character needed to be worked on. And then they started to plant flowers. She knew flowers. She put, they put the flowers in the garden, and then they decided, okay, let's study about this flower. What is the benefit? What insects like this flower? What insects don't like, or what pests like this flower that we need to keep away? What can we do naturally within God's laws to keep that away? She said that became a study. And the more we learned to and looked at that, the more we could glimpse a little bit of God's character. And what they're saying is, here, if either um, this practical education or the study of books must be neglected, let it be the study of books and let the student take up the real practical duties of life. Character is everything. You know, what is the only thing we take to heaven with us? Our character. So, I I like to share this story. Imagine with me, you're in a car. You're the farthest point of North Carolina. I have no idea where that is. Just picture the farthest point in North Carolina, right next to the ocean. The ocean's behind us. We're in a car, okay? And then uh, we're in the car, and imagine with me, you know what the map of the United States looks like, right? Imagine with me, there's a road that goes directly from that point in North Carolina all the way over to the very last spot in California. So, you're getting ready to go, you get in your car, you know, you close your door, you put on your seatbelt, you start the car, you adjust your mirror and everything, look at yourself for a second, make sure you look okay, and every, turn on the air conditioning and everything. Then all of a sudden you grab your shift and you put it in drive. You step on the gas, immediately you step on the brake, put it in park, turn off the key, open the door, get out the car, and shut the door. I tell you that analogy because... Think of eternity. We focus more on those few seconds that I just explained to you, preparing for those few seconds in that car than we do for all eternity. Think about that. We spend more time and more energy focusing on that little movement that we just made in that car than we do for the rest of eternity. What's wrong with that picture? The youth who have been educated to consider the best plans for doing good at home will extend their work to the neighborhood to the church and every line of missionary work final quote never will education accomplish all that it might and should accomplish until the importance of the parents work 
is fully recognized and they receive a training for its sacred responsibilities. That's in Education 276. Never will education accomplish all that it might and should accomplish until the importance, you hear this parents, until the importance of the parents' work is fully recognized and they receive a training for its sacred responsibilities. I can tell you when my wife and I started this journey, we've had as much if not more of an educational training than our children. And I mean that sincerely. We thought we were starting off to educate our children. (laughs) We've received more. I can really attest to that. We've learned so much. And there are things that we've had to unlearn. I fully understand what God was doing with Moses when he took him out to retrain him. Now, thankfully, he hasn't had to take me that far. But he did take me out of the corporate world. And, you know, I was on track to being very successful. I was on track to being very wealthy. That was my goal. Not because I was selfish, not because I was a bad Christian, not because I was um, not conservative. I was always conservative. But my priorities were wrong. I spent so much time focusing on that. Remember my analogy with the car? I got in. I looked at the mirror. I did everything, started it up, put it in drive. It started moving, put on the brake. Put the ga- um, uh, put it back in park, and got out my car. I was focusing on that aspect of my life, and the sad part is, it was going to carry on with my children. I thank God that He woke me up. I really, sincerely do. So, two analogies. I wrote a story several years ago. You can Google it. It's on. It's out there. It's called Swiss Chard Christian. And Swiss Chard Christian, I remember this was one of my, my first entry into gardening and really starting to see God's character and starting to understand everything. On our property, uh, um, there was a lady who was borrowing a greenhouse on our family property. And in it, she was growing flowers and different types of produce. And um, she was not organic. Well, I started growing that year, and I started, I was out in the field. I made a field where there wasn't a field, and of course, I was organic. She was synthetic. I was organic. She used pesticides and, you know, synthetic fertilizers. I used what God gave us. And she was constantly trying to give me clues and saying, that's not going to work, and different things and and, and that. And so there was this butting of heads. And, And initially... She moved on, and when she left, she left a bunch of plants in the greenhouse. I have 13 um, beds inside the greenhouse on one side and 13 on the other, other side. So anyways, I got there, and I was terrified. What in the world do I do with a greenhouse? I don't know. I've never done anything with a greenhouse before. I couldn't even remember, and then I thought I did, but I couldn't even remember if I'd been inside of a greenhouse. So I'm like, how do I do this? Well, she left some Swiss chard in that greenhouse. And Swiss chard is a good crop. I like Swiss chard. It had been growing there. It was a mature plant. And when I looked at it, the leaves really didn't look that good. And they were, um, you know, they were okay. And the dirt didn't look as good. And so I decided I wasn't going to eat it. I was just leave it alone until I figured it out. Every now and then I'd water it if I thought about it. I didn't really care about it. And so what I decided to do was every bed in that greenhouse I was going to take out the dirt because I needed to redeem it. It had been poisoned. It had been toxic. 
it had been sitting there. And so I was going to take all the dirt out, and um, which was a lot of work, and put in new organic dirt that I made myself. So I started that huge you know, task and everything on the left side, I don't even remember what was in there, just thing after thing I pulled out and compost it. And then I take the dirt out of the beds and they're four foot by 13 feet deep, four feet wide, 13 feet deep. And uh, then I got to the right side and um, then I looked and there's the Swiss chard. What do I do with it? So I left it alone. I needed a break anyways. I didn't want to, you know, I was, still wasn't sure what to do with it. They looked okay. But then I started noticing these things, the leaves were turning black and they were getting, then they were sticky. And then um, summer was coming and they were riddled with white flies, white flies everywhere. And I'm like, oh, great. What do you do with those? Okay, I can you know, do what everybody else does and I can poison them. So then I tried watering them off and that didn't work and, you know, hosing them down and it didn't work. Still trying to figure out what to do with the Swiss chard. So anyways, long story short, I decided, okay, what I'll do is I'll take out the beds after those beds of Swiss chard and then I will take them out and I'll start filling those beds first and then I'll transplant the Swiss chard. So I went ahead and I did that and I remember this clearly pulling those plants out and the stickiness and the white flies just in my face and everywhere and thinking, how in the world, Lord, how am I going to get rid of these fly, um, white flies? I knew that ladybugs are good. White flies are ladybug meals. Oh, if you do everything you can to attract ladybugs, those are your helpers in the garden. So the problem was I had nothing there to attract ladybugs, so I didn't even have ladybugs. And so anyways... I started planting them. Well, anybody who's done transplanting, usually, depending when you do it, how hot it is, different, you know, environment, it'll take three to four days for your plant. It'll go through kind of a transplant shock. If they're young enough, they're okay, but if they're more mature like these were, so I figured after three or four days, these plants would revive. Three days passed. They looked sorry. Four days, five days, six days. Then I'm wondering, oh, no, did I kill them? Seven days eight days, and still I'm wondering, are they going to make it? Nine days, ten days. And I'm watering them, I'm making sure they're hydrated, and I'm washing them off, and on day 15, all of a sudden I see these plants start to perk up. And I was looking at them, and I was looking at them, and thought, oh, wow. So I went home, and I was thinking about them, and then the next day, day 16, I get back, and I looked, and... Um, I'm like, huh, wonder why that happened. So I decided to do a second bed, and I transplanted the second bed, and um, same thing happened, but on about of the first bed, the first bed about day 18, I noticed something start to happen that blew my mind. All of the white flies on that first bed that I planted, those plants were covered, were gone. There were no white flies on the plant. Uh, there were still white flies on the ones that I just transplanted, none on the first one. And so I started walking and wondering, what in the world? And it hit me. That soil was rich, mineralized, healthy soil. Those plants had been growing in that dead soil for so long, they had no idea they were dead and dying and decayed. Once I took those and I transplanted those into that new bed, something started to happen. 
they started to get the minerals that they didn't know they were getting. It was such a shock. The rich soil was such a shock that it didn't know what to do with that. And, you know, right then and there, God gave me, I, I, I started, I, I always wanted to be a writer, and God opened the door, and that I had opportunities to start writing. And I remember that very day, the whole entire article came to me, Swiss Chard Christians. We are so much, many people in this world, they have no idea they're dying. They have no idea that they're decaying. They're living in a world with no minerals, with nothing, uh, and, and, and they don't know. They have absolutely no idea. But then it doesn't stop there. What happens to when we, as Adventists, go out and we witness to them and we bring them into the church? I've been there. I understand. It's such a culture shock. You guys eat what? You don't eat meat? You dress how? You talk funny. You look funny because you don't... And I'll share... I'll, I'll, I'll sidetrack for just a second. Last year we did an agricultural conference somewhere in Tennessee those of you knew. And when we went there, you know, we, uh, after we were closing up the, the board, we were meeting, and the um, caretaker of the facility came, and his biggest criticism to us was that of all the years they've been doing conferences and camps and everything, we used more toilet paper than any other group and they were appalled. They wanted to charge us extra because they said, this is abnormal. Well, before we got there, we let them know that, hey, we're vegetarians, okay? Now, those of you who are lifelong vegetarians, I can speak from personal experience. I remember my older brother, when we first started going to um, church, my older brother would go, and he would, especially when they were going to have potluck, and he would come. And then I remember one, him one day saying, man, every time I eat there, I have to go to the bathroom. As meat eaters, a lot of people don't know this. You're used to going, this is true life story. You're used to going to the bathroom two, maybe three times a week. A week. Because you have all that meat in your body that's clogging you and you're all congested, and so everything is moving slowly. However, plant-based diets, you're regular. You eat three meals a day, you're going. You're going nonstop. And so this camp had never experienced this before. They never. So all of a sudden, this group comes in, and we used five times the amount of toilet paper that, 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 you know, of any group that they've ever had. So they literally wanted to charge us extra. We had to negotiate because we didn't want to leave a bad impression, but we also had to explain to them, this is what living a healthy lifestyle does. It keeps you regular. It does not clog you up. <laughs> you guys are laughing. It's funny. It doesn't clog you up and create all, these toxic, all this toxic buildup in your, in your system. And it, and, it, and it supports an entire industry. <laughs> it's, it's true. We support. I didn't never thought of that. We support an entire industry. That is so true. That's true. When you're regular, there's so many benefits to that. And see, if you're in the secular world, you don't realize this. So, anyways, that was one of my experiences coming into the church. So, as a new Christian, you you, you guys dress funny. You talk funny. You don't swear. Well, I didn't swear, um, but you know. You look funny because your faces look healthy, and uh, you're not tired. You're not walking around like a bunch of zombies. You're not popping a, a cup of coffee every you know two hours, and so all of a sudden we're bringing these people into this, and it's such a shock. It is strange, and you know God gave me the impression that they 
that so many people leave because they're not able to adapt to that rich, healthier lifestyle. My Swiss chard, transplanting some sorry-looking Swiss chard into a new bed, God gave me an amazing opportunity to understand his character and relate to people and understand things that I had never thought of. I had another story, but I can't think of it. If I do, I'll share it. Okay, it's going to be very difficult to do this with Audioverse, but I wanted to bring some of my tools. Somebody asked me the other day, what are my favorite tools? And so I wanted to bring some of them, and I'll try to explain them as best as possible for the people on Audioverse, and um, hopefully they can. But remember, I am not opposed. I want to go on record. I am not opposed to using tractors. I'm not opposed to using tillers. I've used them. I probably will continue to use them. I have a tractor. I have a tiller. One of the things I'm looking at right now is called a BCS. I'm interested in buying. It's a walk. It's it's called a uh, a walk. It's a walking tractor rather than it does a little bit more than a tiller. It's really a neat piece of equipment, but that's for another time. I don't yet own it. But anyways, so I'm not opposed to mecha- uh, mechanized equipment. But like I shared the other day, one of the things is we have a time that's coming before us. And unless we're ready to utilize, you know, many of our skills, we're going to get to the point. I think a lot of Adventists, and I used to be one of them, think that when the time of trouble comes, God's going to tell us we're going to run to the wilderness and then all of us, not the wilderness, but we're going to run to the country and then we're going to just start growing everything and we're going to be happy and everything's going to be okay. Okay, I'm going to pause there. Once again, I have the privilege of being after lunch, so I want everybody to stand up. Everybody to stand up. Let's get those, practice some true education here. I want you to turn around, say hi to the person behind you. Look to the right and say hi to the person to the right of you. Do the same thing, the person to the left, the person in front of you. Stretch. I want you to stretch. Take deep breaths. Just don't pass out on me, but take deep breaths. Okay. Let's go ahead and sit. Okay. So back to my story. I think most Adventists think that, you know, everything's going to be okay. They're going to be prepared. But let me tell you, it was a wake-up call for me. And there's still things. I've been doing this now seriously for three years. And there's still struggles and still things that I'm trying to overcome and still a lot to be learned. My purpose in this is just to share my experience. One of the things that, you know, in in, in the corporate world, one of the things you're trying to figure out is how to fit everything into the day. How do I exercise? When do I exercise? Where do I exercise? What's it going to cost me? Does my company have a gym membership that I can join? And all this and that. If you guys want good, free exercise, go get a chainsaw and chop down a tree in your backyard and cut it up. Dig a hole. If you have water that's settling on your property somewhere, dig a drainage ditch. If you want to feel your muscles ache and you want to get exercise without having to pay for it, trust me, you will get an exercise. So one of the things is when I first started, I was doing a lot, mainly everything on the tractor. 
Who was getting the workout, me or the tractor? And I noticed I kept getting bigger and bigger, and I'm like, but I'm a farmer. I should be losing weight. And I was getting bigger and bigger. My metabolism was slowing down. And, um, and so I thought, huh, something, this farming thing isn't all it's cut up to be. And then one day I'm sitting on the tractor bouncing around, driving, and I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Some of this I could be doing. And so I made a conscious decision that a lot of it, I was going to take out the mechanized portion of it, not because I have to, not because I'm against equipment, but because I needed to get closer to what God wanted me to do. If I'm going to follow the principles of New Start, and I'm sitting on a tractor, where's my exercise come in? So... I just, you know, as I started to learn, and there's many, many more. I'm starting because I, I will admit they're expensive, and I one at a time or two at a time as you need them. I've been purchasing equipment, and um, I shared with you guys there was this one area I was wanting to till, and I had my tiller on the back of my tractor, and I got out there and I dropped my tiller, and all of a sudden that thing is just bouncing up and down and bouncing up, and and after two hours I got off my tractor. I've told told Floyd this before. And I don't even have an inch of dirt. All I did was bounce. That ground was so hard. And this is the one where I told you, finally, I got smart. I'm like, okay, after all, you know, I worked in, I, I sat in air-conditioned rooms. I'm, I was a manager. I was a vice president. And I own my own company. I'm smart. I got out there and dumped water on there. I'm like, water will loosen it up for sure. <laughs> Any of you guys ever try to dig in this Georgia clay wet mud (laughs) I made something that was bad worse and the tractor didn't want to do anything so finally I had to wait a week and and then I got out there with a pickaxe and that was a lot of work and then finally decided you know what let me be smart I went and I got a bunch of chicken manure and I dumped on there and I went into the woods and I got as many baskets of leaves that I could and I covered it and then I let it sit there for several months and do you know that after I don't know uh, six seven months I had like three to four inches of dirt what I spent almost a week trying to do with less than an inch God wants us to redeem things not to just ram through everything and go out there and beat it up so anyways I've had since then several areas and I noticed no matter Every time I use the um, the plow, or the or there's only so deep I can get. Well, I want to make sure that those microbes have as much good soil, topsoil, as possible. So I decided that I'm going to make all of my beds 12 inches deep. One of the things I learned about somebody shared with me, which I'd never heard of, it, this is found at johnnysseeds.com. It's called a broad fork. It looks like this, and um, actually, I'm seeing them more and more now. I also see them on Amazon. I can speak for Johnny's Tools because I've been buying from them. I'm not saying go exclusively to them, but the the thing about Johnny's is they have a very good warranty. If I break something, I broke one of these digging in an area, and they replaced it for me free of charge. These tines, you can see I've bent this one. And they will replace this for me because it's been compromised. I just have been too lazy and have needed it too many times to send it in. But I've contacted them, and they said as soon as I send it in, they'll gladly replace it. Their workmanship is really good, and um, the, the, the tools that they make are very sturdy. And I like the guarantee. 
So that's just my thing for Johnny's. But if you can find it somewhere cheaper, this is almost $200 right here. If you can find it somewhere cheaper, go for it. I'm not against it. If you can find good quality stuff, I just, um, Johnny's been around long time. And when I was purchasing this, really, they were the only one. I know Floyd there, he's, uh, if you guys know how to weld, his, he made one himself. Had a, your brother, right, welded for you. And um, th so there's, if you're creative, you can weld, go for it. But anyways, what this is, and I can't do it here, but I can sort of kind of demonstrate. And what this is, is this loosens up the soil. It'll go 12 inches deep, and you put it in. And my 8-year-old son loves this thing. He can't do anything with it because he's so light, but he loves it. And you know what? I let him have fun. And he'll get out there, and he'll get it in the ground. And once it's in the ground, it's pretty stiff. So he's jumping up and down, up and down, trying to get it in. It's funny. It's fun to watch him. But this, you basically stick into the soil. Once you get it in, you just basically pull, lift, bring, come back, pull it out. Go just half a foot to a foot, stick it in. Pull, pull back, and lift. What you're doing is you're putting air down into parts of your soil that you don't have air. Now, you can use it, and I have it. It takes a little bit more work. You can actually use it to turn your soil. And there was this one area where I had just compacted clay. So you can use it to turn, but the main purpose of it is to basically aerate your soil. A tractor can't do that, not as deep as I want it to go. So, and especially if I don't want to plow, let's say today I have a bed, everything's ready, the bed, you know, I've been growing in that bed for a while. Well, it's always good to aerate your soil. Instead of going and beating it up with a plow, sometimes it's just quick. You get out there and it'll go pretty quick. Once you get used to it, you just stick it in, boom. Next thing, go this way, stick it in. By the way, you go backwards this way. Take it out, you stick it in, and all of a sudden, my 50-foot row or my 100-foot row after 30 minutes is aerated. I can go immediately get my plants and start planting. So that's the purpose of this. Again, it's called a... Broad fork. Thank you. I just went blank. Broad fork. <laughs> More narrow? Yes, and it's for digging potatoes. It's pretty much the same exact thing, except what you do is you go near your potatoes. You can also dig carrots with them, stick it in and just raise them up to the surface, pull them off, and move to the next section. This one is also a broad fork. It's more narrow, but what this one is, it's a hard pan broad fork. So if you have an area that's very, very hard, you can see I've bent this. This is another one that Johnny said, I've compromised it, and they will replace it as soon as I return it, but it's one of those things that I don't have time to get back to. But, yeah, if you have hard hard I've tried that one and that's why I've broken them in other areas Johnny's last year came out with this one actually it's been two years and when they did I was so pleased it's a little more narrow because to be honest to move this thing will work it's a workhorse but when you're dealing with hard compacted soil it's heavier so when you're doing this and you're moving a lot of dirt it's hard so it's a little bit more narrow. So let's say your beds are 30 inches wide. Um, you would do two passes, one this way and then one this way, and then this way and then this way. So just side by side as you move down the hill. Same thing, stick it in, move it. And if you want to, you can use it. You know, if you want to turn your dirt, you can turn it with that as well. 
I was gonna say something and then I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, I remembered. If you guys are interested in gardening, there's a guy by the name of Elliot Coleman. Some of you raised your hand saying you know who he is. He published a book called The New Organic Grower. Um, it's on Amazon, you can probably find it used. Many libraries have it. It's a very good book. I don't subscribe to everything he says, but it's a very good starting point. And especially if you're parents and you want to work with your children, you know, start with one tomato plant. You don't have to go out there and start a farm. We have counsel. Um, there's somewhere, and I can't, I, I'm sure if you Google it, but Mrs. White talks about the uh, mothers getting their children out as soon as they're able to walk, digging in the dirt, discovering the treasures that God has for them to discover. I encourage you, if it's one tomato plant, if it's flowers, you know, get something. Teresa Kodamer started with flowers. Get them out in the garden. Get them out there working and do something, you know, with them. So, Elliot Coleman, um, he's, I, I sometimes wonder if he's a Christian. Maybe he's not, but he, back in the 70s, decided that he wanted to get into farming. And Elliot Coleman saw that the industry, everything was going bigger and bigger and bigger, heavier, bigger equipment. So he said, there's got to be a different way of doing this. So he went and he traveled all of, over Europe. And uh, he went and he learned the different methods that they used in France and you know, all these different countries. And he brought them over. Well, there was no standardized way of doing anything in farming. There were just, you know, different forks and rakes and everything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. So Elliot Coleman said, you know what? Instead of having this spot, this size, this spot, this size, this spot, this size, he said, I'm going to have some sort of a method. So he said all of his beds were going to be 30 inches wide. Now, they can be as long as you want. It depends on your, your, your spot. But he said 30 inches. And the reason Elliot Coleman did, th if I did it, I would have done something like 25 inches. And I'll tell you in a second why. But anyways, the reason Elliot Coleman did it is he's tall. Now, have anybody looked at me recently? I'm not the tallest person. So Elliot, Cole, Elliot Coleman's theory was that he could get down and straddle very easily 30 inches and be able to pick. So that's why he went with it. Well, I'm shorter. I would have gone with less. But anyways, so because of Elliot Coleman, everybody has pretty much standardized what they do. Broad fork right here for a 30-inch bed. Again, this one is for hard pan, so this is going to be the exception. I'll talk about the bed prep rake in a second here. So everybody has saw what Elliot Coleman was doing made sense. So in his book, he talks a lot about this, the new organic grower, Elliot Coleman. He talks about this, about doing your beds 30 inches. And I, that's the practice that I use so that everything is uniform. I, and I'm, I'm, I stick to either 100-foot long beds, 100 by 30 inch, or 50 by 30. I was doing 36 nine, here and there, but I've pretty much gone to standardize the things. You guys, figure out what works. He's giving you a base to work on. Start there and go from there. But it's a good start. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.